Lord, we honor you and we bless you for this opportunity, God, to get into your word. Lord, I pray that indeed that you will speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you will take a thought of every demonic spirit, every force that will, help, will hinder the word from going forth. I thank you, Lord, that tonight, that indeed that you'll give us a word in due season for articulation of your heart. Holy Spirit, you indeed welcome into this place to be our teacher and to be our guide. We cover the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation as you declared in your word. And we just thank you, Lord, for those manifestations. Even now, in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone did say, Amen. All right, let's get our Bibles and start here. Over in Ephesians. Ephesians. And uh, Ephesians. Let's work our way in the book of Ephesians. This is going to be uh, somewhat, we'll see where we end up, amen. Ephesians. Let's uh, begin here at Ephesians, uh, verse chapter 5. Chapter 5. I'm going to read this out of the... Uh, Amplified version of the Bible. Uh, and we're going to look at verse number 15. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified version of the Bible. Because you said something, Danielle, just a few minutes ago that triggered this thought to go over this right here. It says in verse 15 out of the Amplified, Therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor purpose and courage shunning those who tolerate and enable evil not as unwise but he says but as wise sensible intelligent and watch the word as the amplifier says discerning people verse number 16 says making the most of your time on earth recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence. So he says, make the most of the time so that you should make sure that when you're walking amongst people, that you're walking amongst people on earth who have wisdom. You're walking amongst people that have really, when, what he's talking in return uh, here is about walking amongst people that understand that have a sense of purpose in their life. I'm not just simply here I'm not just simply here to get along, be along, but I'm here and I'm interested in being about my father's business. And he says, making the most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom, which is applied knowledge and using it with diligence because the days are filled with evil. He says, therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless but understand and firmly grasp what the will of God is. And that is something that is vitally important. That we should not be people that just walking around doing anything. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. We don't have forever. He says, and thoughtless, which means I'm just, I'm just here and whatever is whatever. We'll get along, whatever, you know, it's all good. 
He says, that's not how the believer is supposed to do or operate in life. He says, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of God is. Well, for Paul to say firmly grasp what the will of God is has to mean that God will reveal his will to us. That has to do with the wisdom and it also has to do with the diligence part. Because the Bible says that over in Hebrews 11 that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So God is not playing keep away with his will for my life. He is not playing, you know, a game saying you'll never know. You'll never find out what it is I'm trying to tell you. That's not God at all. He wants you to seek him. When you seek him, he will show, reveal and give you revelation as to what he wants you to do what am I supposed to be engaged with what direction am I supposed to go let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 3 Proverbs chapter 3 gonna be one of those nights Proverbs chapter 3 another famous scripture chapter 3 I am supposed to live my life on purpose I am not supposed to live my life just happily going around, not knowing where I'm going, not knowing where I'm supposed to be. My family is supposed to be living a life of purpose. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> if you've been in church any length of time, you know this one. It says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And he says, and lean not unto thine own understanding. And I always pause and let you know, he doesn't say you shouldn't have any understanding. That doesn't mean I should be mindless. It kind of, that will contradict what Paul is saying, that I should be circumspect, as the King James says in that same scripture in Ephesians, about my times. That means I have to be thoughtful concerning my times. But he says, my leaning shouldn't be to my own understanding. My leaning should be first and foremost in my trust in God and his directives. He says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. Everything that I do. I acknowledge God first. Every direction that I take, I acknowledge God first. And what does that look like on a very practical way? That means, God, I take the moments today to just acknowledge that first that you're here because you said you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. I acknowledge you where my family is concerned. I acknowledge you where my day is concerned. I acknowledge you first, Lord, as your presence is with me always. He says, acknowledge him in all of your ways. And when you do that, this is a direct promise. He says, he shall. Not might. It's a possibility. He didn't say you might feel a tingle, a shake, or a twitch. But he says, when you acknowledge God first in everything that you do, then I can now rest in this promise that he shall direct my paths. God, I take this moment to take take this moment to just acknowledge you first, sir, that you're Lord of my life, you're Lord of my family, you're Lord of my directions. That means, God, I just take this time to acknowledge you in every arena of my life. And because I am starting with you, God says, I now am authorized to direct the stages and the steps of your individual life. Now. Having said that, back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Should have told you to put your finger there. Ephesians chapter 6, which is on the board. Sometimes I have one of these uh, 
interesting prep times because I'm pulling different scriptures from different places to see that we can have them on the board during this season of ministry. But eventually, uh, we will streamline some of these areas. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Now watch this. It says, of course, this is Paul ministering to the church at Edifice, but we can understand this is applicable to us. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I haven't taught this in a while, but let me review. He doesn't say be strong in your own ability. Sounds very similar to when I acknowledge him in all my ways. Now he becomes the director of my life. He says, now finally, my brethren, be strong, not in your strength, by yourself, not solo. But he says, in the Lord and in the power of his might. The other word of looking at the word might is in his ability. His ability on my natural, his super on my natural. He says, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to be strong in the Lord? How am I supposed to walk in the power of his might? He says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Another translation literally says the tricks and the schemes of the devil. This is to remind us again that we are in a warfare stance. Every single day you are in a war. The moment you say, God, yes, I acknowledge you in all of my ways. Direct my path. You are now also at the same time taking an assault against the kingdom of darkness. You are now signing up to understand that you un that that we are in this engaged warfare, not but as the scripture goes on, it says, for we wrestle, verse number 12, not against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood. Now, it might be manifesting as somebody in the flesh and in blood. But he says, understand where the real warfare is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So that's the reason why he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might by putting on God's ability, because that's the only way that you're going to able, be able to see victory against these things that are coming against you, these satanic attacks against your house. Against your home, at work. He says in verse number uh, 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Now I find it interesting every time I look at this scripture that he says the whole armor of God. Which means it must be optional that I put this part on, don't put this part on. It must be that I can I can walk in in truth or the belt of truth, but I don't have my thinking in its proper correct place, which is this helmet of salvation. It must be that I can't have the sword of the spirit that I'm speaking the word of God, but I'm not standing in peace. So he's indicating to us, wherefore, take unto you the whole, put the whole thing on. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. So my ability to stand has everything to do with whether or not I'm taking on the full armor of God. My ability to stand in the evil day has everything to do with whether or not I am appropriating God's armor, his might, his power for my life, which also goes back to I have to acknowledge that it's available to me. 
He says, and having done all to stand, stand. Which means in the midst of this battle that you're in, stand. And he indicates what, what, these, in, what these weapons that, that we have, what this armor is. He says, stand therefore having your loins gored about you with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, he says, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and uh, helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, what does this practically look like? I think sometimes we do get caught up with the Roman analogy that Paul is indicating here that we miss what these items actually are. What are these items or the armor of God? Well, the belt of truth, which is what? Character. Character. When I put on the belt of truth, that means I walk in character. I walk in the character of God. I walk in my moral integrity. I've said this in the past that if you actually look at what Paul is referencing in regards to this military uh, armor of this Roman armor, of the soldier, yet the belt has these little things that hang down across the front that cover the private areas. And every time I see that, it reminds me of the fact that that's what the belt of truth is. See, when, when my lifestyle in the back in the booth in the corner is more holy than my lifestyle in the public, then it doesn't matter even if you shine a light back there because it's still all good. I don't have to walk in in any kind of conflict internally with who sees me here versus where they see me there because I walk in a level of moral excellence and moral courage. I have character. This is what this belt of truth is. The next area he says is the breastplate of righteousness, which is what? My heart condition. My heart condition. Where is my heart before God? How is my heart before God? Hold your thumb there and let's look over at Hebrews. 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 I think I have it here. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Good. The scripture says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the, watch this, the dividing asunder of the soul, and the spirit, indicating to us there is a, divide, a division between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a, watch the word, a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. The thoughts and the intent of the heart. The Amplified Version of the Bible says it like this, the latter part. It says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the division of the soul and the spirit. We've indicated to you in this teaching what your spirit is. Your spirit is the renewed part that is connected to God. Your soul, on the other hand, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. He says, the completeness of a person and both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature. And he says, the word, God's word to us, exposes and judges the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Our thoughts and the intent of our hearts sounds like our motivations. 
We can fool everybody, but we cannot fool God. So when he says take on the breastplate of righteousness, when you think about it, why is Paul using this analogy about the breastplate? Because the breastplate covers the heart of a person. The breastplate of righteousness means who I am in Christ Jesus. But it also has everything to do with my thought life and my, the way I am, by my motivations, what's governing me, if that makes sense. The armor of God, number three, is the shoes of peace, which is so or emotional peace, which means to stand in peace. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which says to me that even in the midst of a warfare stance, I am supposed to still be walking in peace. Well, I can't walk in peace if I'm walking in my own ability because this stuff is rough. These issues that I'm dealing with are really, they're real. But he says, that's why he says, no, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and in his ability and his might. Yes, I can stand in peace even when I'm at war. There's shoes of peace. The fourth one he indicates to us is the shield of faith, which represents protection. The shield of faith, which is the word of God, the word inside of your heart. We're going to get there hopefully in just a minute. That's why we've been talking about this area of conviction. The word inside the heart of a believer is protection against all of the other mess out here. What I believe about God, what I believe about God also becomes the source of joy when everything else seems on the, to be on the contradictory to what's going on. What I believe about God, where everything else seems like it's going south, but God continues to tell me, no, all is well. His word says all is well. I believe his says is all is well. I can stand in the fact that all is well because I'm walking in his peace and my heart is protected because of righteousness and because I'm holding for my shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's a defense. Well, what are these darts? Thoughts, suggestions, and ideas. Thoughts, suggestions, and ideas. That maybe it's the thought or the suggestion, the idea. You're going to make it. You're going to fall apart. I'm going to get you this time. No, my shield of faith says, no, no, no. I believe what God said. Surely my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I decide to hold up my shield of faith when the devil shows up with a thought or an idea and a suggestion that is contrary to what he said. Now, that's one part of it, the shield of faith. And then that's why he makes the another analogy to this helmet of salvation, which is what? The way I think, my analytical processing, the way I understand things. Having the helmet of salvation means having my mind renewed with the word of God so that I'm able to think in accordance to what God says over what I'm seeing in the outside world. And number six, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is, again, one of the reasons why I'm emphasizing so heavily about speaking forth the word of God. That is what the sword of the spirit is. It is for defense so that when a thought comes into my head or it starts circling my head that you're not going to make it, you open your mouth and you answer that thought with what God says. That's what it means to take to take the um, to to capture a thought and tell it you must come into an obedience into the word of God. OK. So what is the armor of God? It is taking on his characteristics and his values to be able to successfully resist the enemy. 
What is the armor of God? It is taking on his characteristics and his values to stand and gain ground against the enemy. It is so that you can obtain God's plan for your life through exercising rights and privileges you have in Christ Jesus. This armor of God, I submit to you spiritually, is the same thing that you see Jesus operating in and in the Gospels. He doesn't get kicked around by the devil. No, no, no. And the Bible says when we're in Christ, when you start acting like Jesus, when you are aware of the purpose and the plan of God for your life and you are in his will, then when the devil looks at you, all he sees is Jesus. You show up at work, all he sees is Jesus. When you start talking the way God talks, all he sees is Jesus because it's his armor. Now, when you start acting in your flesh, there was like, oh, no, that ain't Jesus. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I wasn't sure, but when you open your mouth and start saying other stuff, now I know. And that's the reason why we got to be careful not to be governed by our flesh, but to be governed by the Spirit. Because there's protection. Just in the will of God, there's protection in putting on his armor. When I put on his armor, I put on his might. I put on his ability. And one of the scriptures says that the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, which means that God's got your back. And even in every situation that you are applied or you're deployed to. So I'm good. People think, yeah, well, I'm going to talk about her. I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to give him. I'm going to stab in the back. God said, no, when you are walking in your divine assignment, I got you. And they don't understand that that's how the scripture, no weapon formed against you, shall prosper. Because you are so much in the will of God that when they come up with a weapon that's formed against you, they don't realize who's with you. That I'm not just standing here by myself. My daddy is with me. The angels are with me. I'm deployed agent for the kingdom of God. And you think that you're coming up against me. But when you're coming up against me, you're coming against the will and the purpose of God for this season at this job. Now. All right. Let's look at another one. Let's see how much I get into the series. tonight. <laughs> you getting something out of this? First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five and verse eight. Now, this begins to make sense. So I acknowledge God in all my ways. I live my life in his purpose. I live my life in pursuit of his goals and his will. I acknowledge him in all of my ways. He gives me his armor to operate in, in life, in the purpose that he's assigned me. Now, Peter says this. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He says, be sober. Who is Peter? Always when I look at this particular passage of scripture, first Peter and second Peter, you cannot see I, I, one of the things I will say when I was younger and, and looking at the scriptures, I looked at them purely for for faith purposes. And that's all I was looking at, gaining knowledge of it. But the older I've gotten and the more education to some degree I've gotten, I begin to look at these scriptures and you cannot just absolutely get rid of who wrote it. Paul writes from a 
interesting particular perspective. And you see him saying oftentimes that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Why? Because Paul knew what it was like to know and know he was right and be wrong. Peter, on the other hand, understands something completely different. He understands what it's like to fall. He knows what it's like to think I'm one place in my faith. And in reality, Jesus said, boy, you ain't there. And so Peter writes this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, be sober, be vigilant, be sober, be vigilant. The expanded version of the Bible says control or dis discipline yourself to be careful and or alert. Don't think you are somewhere that you are not. Be sober. Hold your place there. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 12. It's Bible study. <laughs> oh, we're going to come back to that just say Romans chapter 12. I want to show you this little connection. Romans chapter 12. Hmm. <laughs> Amen. Romans chapter 12. Let's drop down. I've already quoted verse number two. Verse number three says, for I say through the grace given unto you to every man that is among you to he says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. To not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Notice he uses the same word. Accordingly, as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, in context, what, what he's saying, he's talking about presenting your body unto God. The second verse he talks about, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then verse number three, he says, you need to have a right attitude concerning your sense of importance. You need to have a sober look at yourself. This is the reason why I've been emphasizing on Sundays and Thursdays that we really need to examine ourselves. Areas of conceit, areas of maybe you think you are in one place spiritually and maybe see this is what this is what tricks you up a little bit. Yeah, you might have been at this area when you were 30 because, man, you were flown with the things of God. You were full of God. But if you don't keep your attentive ear to the things of God, your faith level may have declined some. And this is where a lot of people get in trouble, particularly, you know, ministry gifts as well, because people will expect you to be here. But little by little, you kind of backed away from the things of God. And you're now moving into an area of you acting phony because that's not where you are right now. And you can't deal with the same pressures because you're not doing the same things you used to do. Now. He says he's dealt to every man the measure of faith, the soberness. He says, be sober, be vigilant, control. He says, because your adversary, the devil, and he used the term as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Again, I've heard other ministers say, yes, yeah, see, this indicates to us now the devil is not a lion. I think we're missing the point. He is not a lion. That is absolutely true. I don't think that's what Peter is trying to get us to understand here. He's trying to get us to understand he's walking about as a roaring lion. Well, lions generally, if you study them out, they sneak up on their prey. They examine them. They look to see which one is weak. 
They don't just roll up on everything. They, they study their prey out. And this is what he's really trying to get us to understand, that that's what the devil is doing. He's watching your moves to see where the holes are. He's watching your behaviors to see where the weak spots are. He's watching your attitudes. He's watching every area of your life because he's not going to come full assault at you. No, 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 no. He's going to watch to see where are those weak areas, where are those weak spots. Those spots where now, yeah, 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 I have a question in regards to God. He says, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, which indicates to us that he does not have the capacity to devour everybody. But Peter's indicating that you should be sober minded about once again, where are you? The expanded version once again says it like this. The devil, your enemy, goes around, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to eat and devour. Now, thank God Peter didn't just stop here. He says, whom resist in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. What is he saying essentially here? He says, resist steadfast, which means I must have the capacity to do so. And he says, one of the things that you can draw encouragement from is understand everybody, everybody, all of your brothers and sisters in the Lord are going through the same thing. Everybody, everybody. I remember I was, uh, we were in here talking uh, one day and Vince and I were working in the front and painting and everything. And I was talking to him and I was telling him, I was like, you got to understand that uh, all of us, got to be prayed up. All of us got to spend time with God. There is no special anointing to be a husband because you are a pastor. There is no special anointing to be a wife because you are minister this or pastor that. That's not how this works. Everybody has to spend the time with God. Everybody has to be submitted to God. Now, if there was some special oil, you wouldn't see nearly the amount of divorces from pastors and ministry gifts. Because you got to learn how to work your own marriage. <laughs> You got to learn how to get along with each other. You got to learn how to compromise. You got to learn how to submit to each other as you're submitting unto the Lord. The expanded version of the Bible says it like this. Refuse to give in and resist him. So that means that there must be the ability to resist him or welcome him. How do I welcome the devil? By starting or continuing to use his tools. Operate according to your carnality or according to your flesh. Utilizing his tools, again, as I said on Sunday, sometimes some of the things that you see in your life is not a satanic attack. It is the devil saying, no, you use my tools and I'm demanding payment for the uses of my tools. You want to use my stuff? <laughs> Refuse to give in to him. Sounds very similar to what Paul says, having done all to stand, stand. He says, refuse to give in to or resist him by standing strong in your faith. Standing strong in your faith. Sounds like the shield of faith. Sounds like standing strong in your conviction of what you know about God. You know that your Christian family, community of believers, brotherhood, all over the world is having the same kind of suffering. Now let's look at this next scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. 
First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, there has no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. Another scripture literally says common to the human experience. There is no temptation. That sounds very similar to what Peter was just saying. Then he understand all of us in the world are going through something. All of us in the world are suffering in this way. All of us got to resist the devil. Nobody's immune from that. He says there is no temptation that is taking you except that what is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. He says Everybody is going through these issues. He says, but one of the things that God has done is that there is no temptation that's permitted in your life that in which you are not able to overcome. He says, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. The devil is not permitted to put or allow a temptation into your life that you're not capable of overcoming. Those are the perimeters. If the temptation is there, I have to be able to overcome it or it wouldn't be allowed. So away from this thinking that if this showed up, well, you know, I was just so weak. No, no, no. It's not permitted if I can't pass it. The test is rigged. <laughs> he says, but will with the temptation with it also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. So he says when the temptation shows up at the same time, there has to be a way of escape at the same time that the temptation shows up. I am not trapped. The devil wants to put you in a, in a spot where it looks like you ain't never going to make it. You ain't going to get out. He says, God says, this cannot be permitted. If there is a temptation in my life, that means there has to be a way of escape also at the same time. The question is, am I looking? Am I looking at the issue? Am I looking at the God that I serve? Am I looking at all the trials that I'm faced with? Or am I looking at the fact that this couldn't be allowed? This temptation, this trial, this test would not be available if God didn't at the same time also make the way of escape available to me. So I'm looking. That sounds similar to going back to I acknowledge that in all my ways I acknowledge you God. The way of escape has to be here. <laughs> This temptation, this trial, this issue in my life, the escape has to be here at the same time. Let's look at this last scripture. Let's flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says out of the King James, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant of his devices. Now, 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 now. Be sober, be vigilant. Paul said by inspiration, all this, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. And then he writes in 2 Corinthians, we are not ignorant of his devices. And this is a very interesting statement. So you're telling me that these attacks that I go through, these same things, afflictions that are being suffered by my brothers and sisters in the Lord, they have a track record. They're not something that's, as the other scripture says, that's uncommon to man or common, uncommon to the human experience. And God makes a way of escape. 
So every issue, every trial that I face has to be covered somewhere in these scriptures. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Another translation of that word devices is his schemes. Well, I submit to you, I don't have time to prove text every single one of these, but I've gone through this before. Some of the devices that the devil uses, as we just saw in Ephesians chapter 5 when we started today, is to live circumspectly or know the will of God. Well, one of the devices that the devil loves to use is wasting your time. He loves to use the device of wasting your time through distractions or emotional pain causing perpetual discomfort, disillusionment, or instability. That's a device he likes to use. Now I wasted the last three years over some mess. I wasted three years being bitter. I wasted, some people literally waste 20 years being bitter or harboring unforgiveness on the inside of them. And they don't even realize that they are hurting themselves through the process of wasting your time. Another device he uses is trauma. These are sudden attacks that happen that seem to come out of nowhere. And the purpose of this trauma that sometimes happens in our lives is to get you angry at God so you will disconnect with your fellowship with him. I'm so upset with God now. I don't want to pray. I'm going through this. Now I'm mad. Or, or this loved one, they went home to be with the Lord and I don't know what's going on. Now I'm mad. One of the things I've discovered, even with the, the home going of a loved one, is that when you stay open to God, sometimes what God will do, notice I used to term sometime, not all time, but sometimes God will show you why they went home. God will give you insight. And he'll show you, no, this person right here, they wanted to come home. Or this person right here, they, they, yeah, they did everything that I purposed them to do. This person right here, no, they went home early or something, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But God sometimes will give you insight to what happened in regards to this when you stay connected with him. But when you disconnect from him and get angry with him, it disconnects you from the power to be able to overcome this issue or this area of trauma. Another device that he uses is idolatry. Is he not using this bigly? Notice the term <laughs> in our country today. Idolatry, what is that? Anything that replaces God in your life, something that you put ahead of God. In our nation right now, there are some right now that are love that love God. Yes, but they have put politics above him. And all of a sudden, now, now, now the whole earth is going to fall apart because this particular politician is not in office. I thought you said our God is all powerful. But is he only all powerful when your politician that you voted for is in office? Well, something's wrong with this because what you're saying is God is subjective to this person. That's called idolatry. Another device that he uses is confusion. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. Another device that he uses is deception, which is or self-deception, which is another term called pride. You can't see yourself. I guess that's why I should live, be sober, be vigilant, because I should be able to see me. That's why I should be examining me every day, not just Sunday. Where am I? Deception or an illusion of distortion of truth. This is the root of heresy. One of the things, and we'll talk about this perhaps on Sunday, is that anytime God leads you, 
What you will notice when God leads you, he always sets up areas of accountability. Somebody that can check your stuff. Somebody that you are responsible to. Somebody that can come into your life and say, you know, now, now you know that was stupid, right? You know that wasn't done. That, what are you doing? And this is one of the things, one of the things, one of the purposes of church. It isn't just for the pastor, but it's also for everybody else. That you don't, you know, we in church, we iron sharpens iron. So one of the things I'm believing God for is a, a, a genuine and authentic and radical men's ministry. Because sometimes men, they get amongst themselves and they have these thoughts in their head and they ain't running about nobody. And sometimes I listen to them like, boy, you, 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 that, you, did you, did you talk to anybody before you did that? Another device he uses is corruption, which is time release deception. Corruption. Now, yes, you got into an area of sin. Nothing happened. This is one of the misnomers that we see when we teach our kids wrong in regards to maybe areas of sex. We tell them, no, maybe your, your private is going to fall off. No, no. Why is it that God doesn't want you to have sex outside of marriage? Because God sees you as valuable. And every time you have sex with somebody that's not committed to you, you are devaluing yourself. That's why he says, no, you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and the spirit of God dwells in you. He says, every time you engage with somebody that hasn't committed to you, you are saying to that person and you're saying with me that I don't value me. When we understand the purpose, then we begin to understand why he says what he says. The religious stuff gives you rules, but the relationship gives you the wise. Strife is another device he loves to use. When you're trying to hear God and you're trying to move forward in the things of God, another area that you'll see a device that he used is to stir up strife. This particularly happens in the home, particularly happens with a family. When you got to lock arms with each other to make decisions, what the devil would do is he will highlight those little areas in your life so that y'all start beginning to fight each other so that you are not in this place of agreement. Because I gotta break, I gotta break up this agreement because two can put ten thousand to flight. So I got to get into your homes and make sure that you do not walk in agreement. And that's why the strife seems to show up out of nowhere. Why is she angry now? Why is he angry now? Because the devil wants to get a foothold in your house so he can break the agreement. Another device that he uses is temptation, which is individual tailored basis, an individualized tailored sin. Translation, every temptation that you go through ain't going to do nothing to me. There are some people I know right now that struggle maybe where drinking is concerned. I don't, I don't drink. I've never, I never been a drinker. That's not my struggle. So the devil's not going to show up to me, tempting me with alcohol. Does that, you know, he's not going to show up to me, tempting me with weed or narcotics or any of those things because that's not a temptation to me. Now he might show up with me with a temptation of a donut. See, the temptations that you go through, they're always tailored because of, once again, the devil is watching for those areas of weakness, those areas of entry points into your life. And that's why we need to be sober. That's why we need to be vigilant concerning our walk with God. That's why we need to have introspective in regards to our walk with God. That's why we need to acknowledge him in all of our ways for him to direct our paths so that we can be put on his full armor, his might, his capacity, so that we can be susceptible in life. I understand this is not in our 
series, but I hope and pray that you have gotten something tonight. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we honor you and we bless you, sir, that you are God and we are not. Lord, areas and places where we've decided to do things in our own strength and our own ability, Lord, we just decided to repent tonight. Lord, we need you. We need you. And we openly just say, God, we need you. We need you at work. We need you in our homes. We need you in every area. And so, Lord, with all of our heart, Lord, we acknowledge you in all of our ways. We decide, Lord, to put on your full armor. And we thank you, Lord, that we will indeed live out our lives of purpose according to your will. For it is our heart, God to be led up of your spirit. It's our heart, God, to be here, not just to get along, but Lord, to accomplish the assignment that you have on our lives. And so, Lord, we willfully submit to your will and your plans. We willfully submit to your correction. And we resist the devil. And we thank you, Lord, according to the word of God, he will flee. We give you praise. We give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning and welcome to TTC. We are the Training Center Church here in Gastonia, North Carolina. If you're joining us via social media, we'd like to say thank you this morning for taking this time to have worship with us. We are located here in the city of Gastonia, North Carolina at 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Suite A and B. We have our services here at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Bible studies on Thursdays at 7 p.m. If you're in our city or coming from afar, we'd like to welcome you to join us for live and in-person worship and for midweek Bible study. Thanks again for joining us here with Pastor A.C. Smith and the Training Center Church. God bless.